I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Pod. Happy Thursday. Bit of an emergency pod, not an emergency pod, kind of a reaction pod. We're recording live on the Locker Room app simply because I wanted to give this a platform to fans of the Celtics, people that have been following the news through the day. For anyone that's been under a rock in the last, I don't know, 24 hours, uh, Danny Ainge decided he was done with being president of basketball operations, decided to step away from his role there. Brad Stevens steps up in a promotion into the president of basketball operations role. And now there's a head coach search going on. So from here, what we're going to do is we're going to open the floor up to anybody that wants to speak. And we're just going to start a dialogue, see what's going on between Celtics fans, people in the, fans of the NBA in general, and just what the common perception is. Hey, Adam. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. Um, I'm actually... All right, uh, never mind. We'll talk about later. That's um, going good, man. I uh, just... I'm actually really excited, unlike some fans, to see how Brad, you know, runs the show. I want to see how he's going to, you know, get some guys here that can help the team. Yeah, so I'm joined by, just so everybody knows, I'm joined by Greg, who's usually on the the Monday episodes. I was going to say Sunday, but that's when we record, Greg, on the Monday episodes of the show. Uh, Greg and I are going to chop it up. We've opened up the floor so we can get everybody else's take. As Henry just told us, he's excited to see what Brad Stevens does for the team. So let's just start with immediate reactions to the actual news. Greg, to start off with, buddy, how did you find the news and what was your reaction there? <laughs> I mean, honestly, my initial reaction was just like being overwhelmed with anxiety. Um, I was trying to figure out like how I was actually going to talk about this and how I was, was going to articulate how I was feeling. And I figured the easiest way to do it was just to go through like my, my initial visceral reactions which was just anxiety existential dread and um just like fear of the unknown as to what this might mean for the celtics there was also excitement built in there like anytime there's any sort of change there's obviously some excitement but you know all the whispers of um what's going to happen with the jays is jalen tatum is jalen and uh, tatum going to be happy moving forward like all that stuff was running through my my brain so i, I had a million thoughts at once um, but once I watched the press conference, I felt like things started to calm down for me. And I saw Brad Stevens and it, it honestly looked like he was excited. He was smiling the whole time. Um, he had a look on his face like he was just refreshed and reinvigorated. And it's a look that I haven't seen from him in a while. He's looked very stressed over the last couple of years. And it seemed like the weight of coaching this team was finally off of his shoulders. And all of the comments that were made throughout the press conference just told me that this was something that needed to happen. The Celtics needed to shake up. And I'm just glad it didn't come at the expense of Brad Stevens no longer being with the organization because I do think his his basketball mind is something we need to tap into. Yeah, so the one thing I do want to stress is there was that Woj report saying that Brad Stevens was kind of feeling burnt out and he'd been feeling that way since the bubble. In that press conference, for anybody that didn't see it, Brad did say that the bubble was probably one of his more enjoyable experiences just because it was basketball 24-7. He said it was some of the most high-level basketball he'd seen in his time in the NBA, coaching in the NBA. But you could definitely tell that there was definitely some form of burnout, I'd say, or just a gr- the grind of two really back-to-back short off-season seasons was getting to him. And maybe this role is something he's better suited to in roster construction and stuff. I know we've got a few people up in the room right now, so I want to open it up. Uh, I just want to know what people's initial thoughts were before we start exploring this in a bit more. Uh, Adam, before that, I think you were at the press conference, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I was in attendance. Yeah. So, like, can you explain me? Like, I didn't get the move to promote Brad Stevens to the GM's part. Like, can you explain the move and the reasoning again? Because you were at the press conference, you would know more things. Uh, yes. Yeah, so the way it got explained was. They felt like Brad Stevens was the best candidate. They actually said to Brad earlier in the year that maybe he should throw his name in the hat. Maybe she should become part of that discussion while they kind of look and explore options for president of basketball operations. And Brad Stevens' love of basketball, his familiarity with the roster, the way he's um, constructed 
very over, high achieving, overachieving teams of Butler, where you know if you're the head coach of an NCAA team, you're effectively the GM anyway, because you're the one doing the recruiting and all of that stuff. And then the fact that Stevens has had input into the roster moves for the Celtics, um, it all kind of tied in and it just seemed like a good move for Brad Stevens to move up above coaching and have a fresh coaching voice to come in and rejuvenate that lack of room from a coaching standpoint and give Brad Stevens the ability to continue to work with these players on a different level, maybe be a bit closer to them because he doesn't have to keep that coaching relationship kind of barrier between them, as well as be able to utilize his understanding of the game and his connections that he's made throughout coaching college, throughout being in the NBA, to start developing more of a modernized team and it's fresh voices on the on the floor and fresh voices in the locker room. So it's basically like organization like synchronous or whatever I'm forgetting the term base. Basically like more symphony within the organization, right? Something like that. Yeah, so synchronizing it's basically just promoting the the best candidate from within, putting him in a structure that stays in place. Mike Zarin um, will be still be there. Most of the front office that are already there will be there, so the transition should be quite easy for him. But it gives the Celtics somebody they trust. They know who has the Celtics' best interest at heart, but it also gives them the ability to rejuvenate that, that locker room and get the players some fresh voices and fresh development ideas. Yeah, I think the word you were looking for was continuity. That's that's what Wick uh, kept coming back to. That a lot, you know, promoting Stevens one from within allowed the organization to keep that organizational continuity. And I think the key word, Adam, you just mentioned it a few times, was fresh. I feel like I heard that term five or six times throughout that press conference, and I've heard, uh, you know, reinvigorated and people being excited again. I think that was that was, um, you know, my biggest takeaway from that press conference is that. This family atmosphere that you've heard people talk about within this ownership group and this leadership group, they definitely wanted to keep that intact. And you could see that like they were not going to throw Danny Ainge under the bus. They they were saying this was Danny Ainge's decision, whether or not it was or wasn't. You know, the the organizational line was that Danny Ainge wanted to move on. Brad Stevens was the perfect man for the job and they were going to keep that harmony but, um, between those between that leadership group. I think another thing to note as well is like a, a, a Boston Celtics reporter that's quite credible, Mark Murphy, uh, tweeted about six minutes ago. So that's, that's time conversion is not working in my brain right now. What time is it East Coast? Anybody? Uh, it's 4 p.m. Okay. So tweet, tweeted that at around about 3.50 p.m. Eastern time that Danny Ainge had actually made the team aware of his decision back in March. So while this does feel like it came out of left field, I think that we can be quite comfortable knowing that the behind the scenes discussions on this have been ongoing for a few months now. And it, what that, you know, what brings to mind when you say that, Adam, is that things don't really leak out of the Celtics organization, right? You don't really hear too many rumors get out there. Like when, when Brad Stevens was hired, nobody saw Brad Stevens being hired when he was hired eight years ago. And nobody really saw this news dropping, especially the day after the season ended. And it, it just brings to mind like earlier in the season where there was whisperings about the team being unhappy and Tristan Thompson being a problem within the locker room is it, how much credibility we can give to that in retrospect, knowing that this organization plays things so close to the chest. And feel free to push back and, and find me some other examples in which, um, you know, stuff has leaked out. But it seems like the really big stuff that happens as an organization um, doesn't leak out. And I think that is a sign of a healthy organizational culture for sure. I mean, for me and anyone else that's on stage, feel free to push back. I definitely want this dialogue going on. Uh, I just believe, I'm a firm believer in teams only leak news that they want you to consume. They only leak things for their agenda, whether that's to be to push somebody's free agency value up or to be putting pressure on a team when they've got a player they know is a little bit disgruntled. I don't think real news leaks reg- very often because teams are just too close-knit. Everything to me that hits the media has been orchestrated to actually get to that point. What do you want to get into talking about uh, about Stevens and NH? Do you want to do some big-picture stuff? Do you want to look yeah, at it? Yeah, I mean, we could do some big-picture stuff. I mean, looking back is going to happen a lot in the next couple of weeks, in retrospect. Yeah. So we I think big-picture stuff looks good. we got to find a coach, man. Yeah, who, uh, here's a good one. Let's Everyone list your top three coaches available. So we'll go 
We'll start with Greg, and then everyone just jump in with your top three names, and we'll see if we've got a unanimous winner. <laughs> well, I think um, you definitely want to hire someone that's got some like cachet players, right? So Chauncey Billups is a name that definitely comes to mind. Um, you know, I think Boston having the legacy of having hired the first black coach, it might make sense to for them to explore the option of hiring the first female head coach, you know, to, to kind of continue that legacy there, just being progressive thinking in terms of hiring practices. Um, so the Becky Hammonds of the world and the Kara Lawson's of the world definitely would come to mind. And then I've seen a couple names floating out there. Um, I definitely don't want – I'll give you one I don't want. I don't want Mark Jackson, even though for some reason <laughs> some people still think Mark Jackson's a good head coach. I love him as a personality. He's got some great transitions going into timeouts, uh, you know, going into commercial breaks. But I don't necessarily want him uh, calling the X's and O's for the Celtics. But I, I would look at Chauncey Billups and Becky Hammond and Kara Lawson. I agree with those three and um, Sam Cassell's. I like uh, Chauncey, uh, Carol Austin, and uh, uh, Nick. Ak- Kenny Atkins pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, Chauncey Billups would be a good option potentially to sell. Uh, you know, the guy who no one talk brings up anymore, but he was his name was brought up for every coaching candidacy for like two years ago. Was Emi Udoka? Yeah, yeah, his so- name was up for everywhere, huh? Yeah, he was in for everywhere, and now he still doesn't have a job. It's crazy. Huh? He's Yudoka's the assistant coach for the Nets, but I wouldn't mind him either. I think that's a fair point, though, um, with with Mark Jackson. I just don't think that the the Jays are necessarily at that point in their development. I think Mark Jackson was good for those guys, like in their first couple of years of their career. But when it came down to can he take them to the next level, um, you know, the organization decided that he was not ultimately that guy that could then empower them to be the best versions of themselves. I think instilling that initial confidence in those in those players was important for, for him. And that's what Mark Jackson does, right? He's kind of one of those guys that, um, you know, he's kind of like the leader of men type of coaches versus, yeah. versus someone that can necessarily, you know, bring you to a championship level. And, you know, Brad didn't do it. And Brad was one of those guys that, you know, we were looking for a more X's and O's approach. But I, I would, you know, I'd push back and say that, um, bringing in someone to help with their development is not necessarily what we need from this coach because I feel like those guys don't lack confidence. So that's a good point. What type of coach do you think they should go for? Just for the record, I've got um, Chauncey Billups, Sam Cassell, and Kara uh, Lawson as my top three. But we're, if we're talking about do they need a player development coach, do they need a players coach, there's still a lot of youth on this roster. And something tells me that while we'll probably see Brad make some moves just to put his own stamp on the team, we're not going to see the average age rise too much. So are we looking at a player development guy? Are we looking at somebody that can come in and galvanize these guys and like a fire under them? Like what exactly is everybody here hoping to get from this next head coach? I just hope we don't sign Kit or or Lloyd. Lloyd Clear, Lloyd Pierce. I do not want neither of those as their head coach. Yeah. For the record, I'm not a Celtics fan, so I would love for you guys to sign Mark Jackson, Jason Kidd, David Fisdale. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I think ideally you just want someone that could connect with the – really, the, the key to this team is, is the Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They have to be involved. And I, I was listening to a pod earlier where Goodman was like, I don't know if they'll be like, you know, they should fully be involved. No, they have to be fully involved. Yeah. You're right. Adam, you, do it. you have to be a coach they like. They have to get someone that both the players like and the front office like. So then, right. like that's what why I think Chauncey's a better a better pickup for a head coach because he's a likable guy. He, what he about can bring uh, in people. What about Alvin Gentry? <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good point someone just made though. Like Danny Ainge has always been quite clear that he'll listen to players, but ultimately he's making his own decisions. And the modern NBA players, like the stars, like to be involved in some of these front office decisions or at least to be consulted at a level where they feel like their opinions are actually having some form of valuable input. Do you think Brad Stevens is going to be more like, more aligned into letting these guys have some say in roster moves? Maybe if it's somebody like Marcus Smart, do they consult Jalen and Jason before moving on from Marcus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You, better, you better consult. Look, you don't consult your uh, your stars. What happens is you go in the next season and somebody starts demanding a trade, and that's not the attention that you want. So you go in the off season, Brad in the front office, you talk to the Jays. I know you call them the Jays about a new head coach. I'm not saying you have to go from what they say, but 
take it into consideration and look at the roster and take the, their thoughts about the roster into consideration. But at the end of the night, we got to make some type of moves in the offseason. I do not want to see that same team rolled out again next year. No. Yeah, I would yeah. say um, the big thing with consulting the Jays is that, okay, you might not have them pick the head coach, but if they don't like the head coach, then that should disqualify the head coach. Yeah. yeah. You should just leave a lot of them to have influence, you know, make them feel happy about it. Yeah, they should just go after, like, a coach that both the players like, like, somewhat to an extent. We're like, yeah, we'll be cool with him. And then the organization likes. See, if it was me, if it was me, what I'd do is I'd draw up a, a short list of three or four people that I think are the best candidates for the job and then say to Jalen and Jason, eliminate two. So you tell me the two of these four that you do not want to work with and then I will make my decision based off the other two. They will eliminate Kid and Lloyd immediately. Hopefully. Hopefully. This is a sad note. I wish my job would let me do this. My job should let me choose who the next boss will be. I mean, I'm just trying to think of, like, equal ways, you know, where you can keep everybody happy but still have the final say in the majority control. Yeah. Well, I, I, got think, a question I think a term self. that uh, was, was super important at that press conference, uh, Brad Stevens, and you know, he kind of talked about Danny Ainge's influence on him as a coach and why he thinks he could be successful in his job and why Danny was so effective at his job. Uh, the word that he used was empower, right? He, he really felt like Danny empowered him as a coach and instilled that confidence in him as a coach. So if you're talking about consulting the Jays and empowering them in the decision-making part of the franchise, I think it is important for them to have their voices heard and for them to be consulted. Because if we're not going to consult them, then that's kind of a slap in the face. It's like, okay, where are your franchise cornerstones? And yet you're not talking about, you're not talking with us about this stuff. But I feel like from all, from that press conference today and from everything I've kind of gathered um you know about what this Celtics organization is about there's no way they're going to not consult the Jays the Jays are going to be consulted in the head coaching uh in the head coaching hire for sure whether that's just uh you know um I want to hear your opinion I might not listen to your opinion but you know we value your voices that might be something that happens I don't really expect them even though I think they should um to consult them about roster construction because I feel like that's something that has to come Completely objectively from the top, looking at it. Yeah, but I think you want you want the Jays involved. That you want you, you want to get Brad in the room and Caden Brown and, and be like, all right, guys, like who should we go after? What guys do you think you would play good with? Guys who complement your games, you know? Basically, yeah. The sure. only downside to that is you don't want a, a roster just full of homies that are just <laughs> out to ha- you know what I mean. I mean, and I don't uh, feel like I mean, they're not gonna get like homies per se. I feel like they're gonna look at everybody in the league and be like, okay, this guy seems like he's better for my play style because they're both slashers at the end of the day. Like, yeah, I know Tatum they, shoots good from the perimeter, but he's more effective when slashing to the to the paint. Yeah, like find so guys more tougher guys, you know. Like a, Adam, what's up, man? It's been a while. Yo, what's good, man? Oh much. I feel like so with the everything shaking up, right? Do you feel that this is a going to be a situation of a team that's based on trying to build culture like which was like what the Celtics MO was with Danny, or this is going now to the players, right? Where like you're gonna hear them out and figure out what they want and things of that nature. Because honestly, Right now in the NBA, it seems like this is an interesting case study because it seems as if, like, if you looked across, like, all the board of the 30 teams that have been successful, it's like a mixed bag of which direction of the spectrum you want to choose. Because a team like the Miami Heat that has, like, you know, has been this epitome of culture, like, you, you saw what happened this season. They flamed out, and they didn't make the necessary moves that they made, needed to make. But then you see a team like the Clippers that did everything they could to get a star, and now they're bankrupt, and they literally need the season to work out for them. But you can't really see it, no matter how much you like twist this glass to see like a different angle of like you know. So like, I wonder is that what you think is going on with? I mean, for me and Greg, I want you to back uh, give me your opinion on this. For me, it's like. Brad Stevens has a reputation for being very pragmatic in his approach. Just as a coach, as a person, he just strikes me as a pragmatic guy. But he's also shown bravery in his rotations and his ability to 
kind of just, you know, throws stuff out there and see what sticks. So I think that when we're looking at case studies like the Clippers that have just chased big name stars and tried to figure everything else out once the big names are through the door, once you get Kawhi and PG through the door, we'll figure everything else out. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Other teams, when you look at Memphis, I think Memphis do a phenomenal job building that roster through the draft. But again, you still need to be able to eventually bring in a top 10, top 15 guy to complement the people like John Morant and Jared Jackson if you want to be making that next step towards uh, title contention. I think Brad Stevens is going to be somewhere in the middle. I don't see him the type of guy to chase big name free agents um, if they don't complement the team. Instead of, I don't see Brad being a best talent available rather than best fit. I've just got this feeling that Brad Stevens is going to be all about fit, all about um, what, how they implement themselves into the culture of what they're trying to build and how they complement the players on the floor. I don't see Brad Stevens picking a guy just because he's got the best combine uh, results. So so let's, let's ask this question too. This is the elephant in the room that nobody's even thinking about. I'm not trying to go too far ahead. But let's say two or three years from now, what if he gets to itch again to want to coach the Celtics? Like, is he going to try to pull the, you know, I'm the president of operations, I want to come back down? Like, that could happen too. Like, we don't know how he's going to do in this new role. He may get the itch to want to coach the Celtics again. We just don't know. So what kind of coach is he really going to go after? Is he going to go after a, you know, yes sir, no sir guys? Is he going to go after a established coach? Like, I don't know what he's going to go after, to be honest. Well, well the head that. He's going to go after something that's different than him because based on the press conferences, all he was talking about and all, all four of them were talking about was change is good and how that can be good for the team ultimately. So I think he's going to like go away from a guy who's like him and like even killed. And I think he's just going to get a player's coach. Um, Brian, I'm going to push back on the idea of him wanting to like pull a Pat Riley and say, I'm a coach and then say, I'm a GM and then say, I'm a GM and not a coach, you know, that type of stuff because. If we remember in the middle of the season, there were rumors of him going to Indiana and taking that job to become like athletic director over there, if I'm correct. I'm not sure. Somebody can correct me here if I'm wrong. But yeah, there was well, rumors of that. So this actually this actually aligns with what he wanted, which is to be a GM. It kind of aligns with the rumors, despite Adam saying that um he didn't he wasn't fatigued in the bubble, but it aligns with the fact that he doesn't want to be out for 82 games yelling and screaming and being up all night trying to create a new play and all that stuff. He actually wants to just sit in a front office role and just vibe. But you never know. He could change his mind. But I think this this is like perfect timing. It's just weird about how, you know, Danny leaves and then all of this happens. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to actually push back against what you just said because – and I don't want to sound like a hater, being that I'm not a Celtics fan, but it doesn't sound to me like a per- If you watch the press conference, he didn't sound like someone who doesn't want to coach again. At one point, he even said that if that someone asked him that if it was another GM that came in and they still wanted you to be the coach, would you have been fine with that? And he said yes. So, I, I mean, whether he comes back as a Celtics coach or not, it, it doesn't, he didn't seem to me like someone who's finished coaching. That's I mean, to fair. be fair, to be fair, he did say I'd do whatever the team needs yeah, of he me. he seemed to me, to, like Adam was going to say, he seemed to me to be a guy who wanted to be all about the Celtics. He wanted to do whatever the team wanted to do. Like, he's a basketball guy. I don't think he's all about coaching or all about GMing. I think he loves the Celtics. I think he loves basketball, and he's willing to do whatever he, it is yeah. for the I do right. want to say as well that like um, Danny Ainge was 44 when he took the um, basketball the, the, the same job. Uh, Brad Stevens is 44. Danny Ainge said when he took the job, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm going to coach again. Like I'm not going to say I won't do it, but I wanted to give this front office stuff a try. 18 years later, we're hearing the exact same out of Brad Stevens. Yeah. I'm not saying you know I'm not saying that it's going to be a like for like, but you don't know how much you're going to love this role until you do it. So we could say that, yeah, Brad might get the itch, but Brad might fall in love with this uh, president of basketball operations and the freedom and roster control that he has and think, why would I go back to coaching and have to work with what somebody else is giving me when mm-hmm. I can be the one constructing everything for someone? Exactly. And the thing is about like press conferences, you can't make 
you know, you can't particularly give yes or no answers. You have to make sure you give politically correct answers so that nobody can make a story out of it. Because, I mean, if you're not a Celtics fan, I'm not a Celtics fan, but I'll, I'll just generally love the NBA, right? If you're looking from outside in, you think that they are a dumpster fire and you would think that, oh, it's Kyrie's fault. You know, that's literally what Twitter is saying. And that's basically what mass media is saying, because, you know, anything for clicks, there's more things that are going on with the Celtics. And honestly, the Celtics can either go up or down, but you have to wait until it happens. So, yeah, of course, he's going to make an answer like I'll do anything what the team wants. You know, if that means that he has to coach in a few years or he's going to stay as a GM, or if he has to take both roles, that's basically what he's trying to say. I think it's interesting because this is the first time we've ever seen this kind of happen, and it happens so fast, but the fact of the matter is is it's been under wraps for a long time now. I mean, they're saying that Ainge came up with this decision back um, right after the trade deadline in March, so this has been something they've kept under wraps, including Brad Stevens saying during that last game that, yeah, uh, I knew that this was going to be the last game that I was coaching and that they kept it under wraps for this long. But I, I think it's good to have some fresh blood there. You know, I guess the fire Brad and fire age crowd sort of got what they wanted. Um, Brad Stevens isn't head coach anymore and Danny Age isn't the GM anymore. So um, you're in a different situation. There's a lot of uncharted waters. But uh, I think overall bringing in fresh blood at the GM spot and having a chance where you're going to have Jalen Brown's input, Jason Tatum's input on the next coach. Um, I agree with the notion that it should be a player coach, um, somebody who's going to come in who's had experience playing at the NBA level, whether it's Chauncey Billups or, you know, you, you have a look at Stackhouse or I, you know, I'm open to the idea of begging him and getting a job too. So there's a lot of good candidates out there. Um, and I think it's just finding the right fit that's going to fit with the guys that you've got right now. So here's a question for you. For the people that are worried that Brad might want to go back into coaching in a year or two, the way, the type of coach he hires, the age of that coach and how, how long that coach has left on their career in general will tell you a lot. And I say this because one coach that Brad speaks glowingly of that could come in and galvanize this roster from tomorrow, which is a long shot, but still a possibility is Coach Popovich. Oh, really? Yeah, Popovich was the guy being considered for Brooklyn a while back. He doesn't want to be consistently coaching a rebuilding team. If he wants one more shot to have a team develop it for a year or two and then take a legit run at the finals, there's no better team for him than the Celtics. And right. him and Brad have spoke glowingly of each other for years. I, it, I'm just throwing it out there, right? Because it's just an, a yeah, curveball right. that nobody's seen. And don't forget, Pop coached Hayden Brown and Kumba at Team USA. And, and smart, Moss. yeah. <laughs> All four of those guys. That would be crazy, man. I yeah, but they Pop. didn't play well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think Pop is going anywhere. I think, I think, I mean, I get what you're saying about him wanting a chance to win, but Pop, he kind of wants to do it his way. And I feel like if he's not going to be able to win with the Spurs, I think he'll retire eventually. I mean, I, I honestly, uh, sorry for going uh, off there, Adam. I honestly thought you were going to say Lloyd Pierce because. Stevens did have a lot of really good things to say when Lloyd Pierce was let go by Atlanta. And at the time, I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if he got scooped up. I mean, I would have loved him as an assistant coach for the Celtics. So the fact that he's a suitor now, like, I think there's a chance there. And he also, Stevens had really good comments about Becky Hammond a while ago saying, you know, she deserves to have those opportunities as well and knows that her reputation around the league is really good, especially the players. So. I, I think any and all sound bites that Stevens had about any coaches for like the past six months are probably going to get like psychoanalyzed because I bet he's going to probably reach out to some of these people. I mean, we've already got a couple people who are in consideration right now. I mean, there's two female coaches that to me would both be great fix. Uh, Hammond is one, Kara Lawson's the other. I think Kara Lawson has the edge if we're going to go. Um, in a female coaching discussion simply because she already knows this roster. She's respected by the players on this roster. She knows the, the coaching staff, the front office staff. She's been with that, uh, that organization before. She left as an assistant to take a head coaching job. But if the Celtics come and offer you the head coaching job there, do you really turn that down to stay the head coach at Duke? Or do you take it and become the first female head coach of an NBA team and it's the Boston Celtics that you already know the playing personnel? 
I think it would be a good opportunity for her. And I think that would be awesome because her loss on the staff is noticeable. Like her, her impact there uh, cannot be understated. Like a lot of players miss it. Um, I was just going to say, throw out there, the old coach that I think would be more likely than Pop would be Mike D'Antoni. I don't necessarily think it's a good move, but I'm just throwing that name out there. If you're going to have an older coach, I think he'd be more likely. Yeah, D'Antoni gets the ring with Brooklyn and then goes back to his own guy, his guy, Steve Nash, one year of tutelage and then goes for, for another team. I don't know if that's a great move myself, just because this team's, and I don't see Brad Stevens doing it because Brad Stevens built all of his rosters at Butler and in Boston based on defense. This year excluded, obviously. We know what this year's defense was. But as the Rockets guy, I would say no shot because I think what happened is that when Mike D'Antoni and Maury got gulagged because of Tillman Fertitta, basically you see how Harden only wanted to play for the Nets or the Sixers. That was not because of like he just wanted to go there because of vibes. That was by design. Both of those guys were lobbying for him. You understand what I'm saying? And both were helping him get to those places. He ended up in Brooklyn. The thing about Mike D'Antoni in his interviews, he's always said that his long regret is that he never won anything for the Suns guys. That's if you notice about Steve Nash. Although he's the coach, Mike D'Antoni's his assistant coach writing all the plays on the board. If you notice, you see people like um uh Amari Stoudemire is on the bench. There's a bunch of Suns guys on that bench that are like assistant coaches. So for them, they all view it like this is the Phoenix Suns teams that never won it all. And if the Nets win it within this year or the next, that's like their parting song. So you think yeah, he'd retire this, if they won? Um, I don't sure about retire, but I don't think he's going to put himself to ever take a head coaching job again. I think he is tired of it because people don't particularly give him credit for anything else. You know, they they give him his sons and his offense, but they don't really value him in terms of everything else he does. You so, see, I disagree with you. I think I think everything you said is why he would actually take the job. I think first off, I think he's a lifer. I think he, he there's only thirty NBA head coaching jobs, so I I think he he will want to take another head coaching job, and he'll want to get a title on his own to prove everything you just said wrong in terms of what people are saying about him. But I don't think they're going to hire him, so we don't have to waste time talking. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I'll, I'll say this to your point, Jason. It's like what Al, Alvin Gentry, because Alvin Gentry is a great uh, reason for this, because Alvin Gentry is one of those Phoenix guys that thought, he, you know, he was a genius alongside Mike D'Antoni, his protege, and didn't get the job done. Went yeah. to Golden State, won a championship as an assistant coach, got a job at the Pelicans, and that didn't work out, right? So... Again, it kind of goes to your point. Yeah, but Alvin Gentry would get any job. If anybody tried to give him a job, he would jump in in a second. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just not as good as Mike. So the one question you've got to ask yourself then is, do you make sure your head coaching situation's like in place before we even start looking at future trades? Because you don't know what that – you're going to want to have that coach part of that discussion as well, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. Like and I, that, and what type of coach you get directly affects what type of trade you're going to make. It depends if you get on the a, trade, though. Because everybody's yelling trade Kemba, trade Kemba, trade Kemba, right? If Kemba ends up being like a salary dump for a lateral move, then, you, you know, for a lateral move that can help you, you, you take that deal anytime. You know what I mean? But if it's to, like, in, incrementally get better that can actually change the way how the style of play, then... then then, then that this is a different topic of discussion. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you would have to wait for the t- you would have to wait for the new coach. Yeah, because my outlook on it is, if you're bringing in a player development coach, then you know it's going to be guys like Marcus Smart and Tristan Thompson that are most likely going to be trade tech candidates. If you're bringing in a players coach, a guy that's more of a uh, a light of fire under you and kind of trusts you to get the job done once he tells you what he once he gives you your instructions, that's it then it's going to be guys like Neesmith, Langford, Pritchard. Those are going to be the guys in trade discussions. So the the question of the coach directly relates to the question of any future trades. Obviously, Campbell Walker's name will be in that throughout. And I think the only coach that I'd trust to have any luck in bringing Kemba back to where he is serviceable would probably be 
Billups or Atkinson. Atkinson because of what he did with D'Angelo Russell, and I think Billups or Casal actually as ex-players that have dealt with their fair share of bumps and bruises along the way might be able to say, look, man, you need to tough it out. But uh, I think Kemba's going to be the, the hardest one to move. But that's what makes me think that the coaching acquisition is so important for understanding the next steps in the trade market for this team. I don't think Kemba's actually that hard to move. I think the problem is Danny Ainge doesn't like trading first-round picks. Because if you attach three or four first-round picks, I mean, you can probably, I mean, <laughs> like, like let's say last year, if you could trade yeah, but Kemba. That, that's, how you ruin your, that's how you ruin your roster. Yeah, You're not I, I know, value, but I'm man. just saying, like, that's how, that's how, no, no, I'm not saying you could trade him for nobody. You could trade him for, like, someone else who's really good, not for nobody. But the point is, at some point, you're going to have to you make a lot of trades to put on an, to put a piece that you think can put them that can help Jalen Brown and Tatum go over the top. I don't know when that point is, but at some point. Another uh, interesting coach is um, if the Bucks lose you in the second round to the Nets, maybe Budenholzer is, is available. Do you really want a coach that's just got a reputation for ba- for like crumbling in the playoffs though? Because Budenholzer's had is if, if they if the Bucks don't do well again. This year in the playoffs, then he had that dominant regular season Atlanta team, couldn't get it done in the playoffs. A dominant Milwaukee team multiple years in the regular season, couldn't get it done in the playoffs. And if you can't, and that, that then becomes the narrative of his career. Fantastic regular season coach. You can't trust him once the chips are down and it's the real like alterations and mid game adjustments, game after game adjustments. And that seems to be coach Budenholzer's biggest flaw. So I don't know how comfortable you are with that. If you're actually trying to win a championship, here's a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Question I have for you guys: um, with the potential for like, if you were to wait for the rest of this playoffs, do you think any other coaches might get fired? And if they're pre-potential candidates, I mean, the only guy I could think of is, and I don't think you guys want him, but I could see Frank Vogel getting fired after if the Lakers. Go. Honestly, I think Frank Vogel would be somebody the Celtics took a look at. If he like, was fired, yeah, I like, think they'd take a good look at him. I'd be okay. I want to be like. Like going crazy about it, I'd be like, okay, we'll see what happens. His X's and O's, and the way he's got the um the elbow sets running, and the sideline out of bounds plays with LeBron and with AD, and he's got everybody on the same page dealing with all those egos, and made them the best defense in the league this year while dealing with yeah. no LeBron, no AD. That's the sort of coach that Brad Stevens would take a, a serious look at, in my opinion. What about a guy like Terry Stats? I'm all out on Terry Stats personally. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm just not there. Like we need, we need to get better in defense, not get worse. Well, not even just defense, right? You have the same issues with Stotts that you have with Mike Budenholzer, where he doesn't get it done in the playoffs and consistently has failed to do so, even if he's had solid seasons with the Blazers. Um, here's the thing. I I would like to push back on the uh, on the Stotts slander. I I think Stotts is a good coach. Um, I think he's more of his career in the playoffs and postseason is more of a function of roster construction. I mean, anybody that's criticizing the Blazers' defense, of course you should. But how are you going to have a good defense with Sage McCollum and Damian Lillard on your team as the backcourt? You're not getting and much. And just and Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> like, Sorry. you're not getting much out of that, right? And for anybody that says, oh, why can't they get it done? They consistently play against teams that are just better than them, right? You can make the crucifixion that why anytime they played against the Warriors, why couldn't they win at least one game? It's like every season it got swept. Or when they went against the Pelicans, why did they lose against the Pelicans like that? Right? That's the, those are the two things that you can like say, okay, you can hang on his head. But Terry Stotts is a fine coach, a good one. I don't know if the Celtics should go after him, but if the Celtics went after him, I wouldn't be mad either, right? Like, it's not like you're getting that guy who hates Trey Young so much that he went on ESPN to, like, cover on how to stop him. Um, the thing about some of those years I'm thinking about, like, the time that he lost to the Pelicans, I'm not saying it's an excuse, but I'm pretty sure that was the year that Anthony Davis was uh, in the MVP conversation, and he was averaging, like, damn near 28 and 10 every night. Um, the Warriors games, they were uh, the Warriors, you know, they're the Warriors. But, yeah, I agree, man. The the hate and the slander should definitely not be uh, – should not be all his fault. Like, look what he has to work with defensively. Uh, he this year got Robert Covington, 
and Nurkic, Nurkic, I keep messing up. I always mess up his name. Uh, Nurkic. Nurkic. Yeah, Nurkic. Nurkic. Other than that, that who else do they have defensively? Who else would you rely on defensively on the Blazers besides? I those mean, two? you have Norman Powell, <laughs> but the issue is that the style of play that their stars and adding Camilla Anthony into it just doesn't allow for them to play defense. Even if you did try to stagger them to create lineups that cultivated defense, then you won't have enough offense to compensate and you'll have a bunch of role players and immediate, you know, guys that have voices. So that's the reason why they haven't gone. They kind of remind me of the Rockets with um there are offense is the main priority and everything else is second. Um I would push back on you with that. Um I would say that they're actually worse than them. Um, you guys want to get back on the Celtics stuff? Yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> question. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, a question for Adam. I feel like I'm the moderator. Um, what do you say to people who say that the reason why they put Brad Stevens to be the GM is because he has a, he's $28 million owed to him? Yeah, I mean, there was a rumor that um, certain members of the Celtics organization wanted to fire him midway through the season and Danny Ainge stopped it. I think that if you were going to keep him as head coach anyway and you feel he's better suited to the step up into the front office, then you make that deal anyway because he's you're getting value from him in one way or the other. And this way, you bring in a new coach, you let that new coach kind of do what he needs to do with the playing staff and you test out what Brad Stevens is like as a, a president of basketball operations. I don't buy into the fact that they only did it for that. I think that if you want, if they seriously wanted to get rid of him, then they just would have stumped up the cash and said bye. But if that was the case, then they would have let him just leave and go to IU earlier in the year. They wouldn't, you know what I mean? They would have said, oh, God, this is great. I completely agree. I just think, yeah, for me, it's just like they would have said, look, Brad, we're not going to keep you beyond this season. You've got an opportunity here to go back home and coach the cottage team that you adore. So we're going to let you do that. And we're going to, you know, we're not going to, Stand in your way, and that's how they would have got off that deal. Boy, boy, those conversations would have happened behind closed doors, and they would have said, "Brad, we want you here long term." Uh, the rumor is that the Celtics knew about Danny Ainge's decision back in March, so I'm pretty sure those conversations about Brad stepping up to the front office happened early. Uh, Adam, like, uh, what's Brad Stevens' contact length? Do you have any idea? Or did he sign an extension with this promotion? Yeah, he signed an extension. I don't think there's been no talk about the Celtics. Don't really release contract details. Um, he signed an extension before the bubble, which apparently took him to seven years. The, this season's just ended, so there's six more seasons on that contract. Okay. But so again, I, I think that if they were going to let Brad, if they didn't want Brad Stevens there, Brad Stevens would be coaching Indiana University right now. I have a question. I'm not really one of those guys who like to focus on, on you know, contract with certain players. So with Brad being the GM now, doesn't that so he's getting paid the money he got with the extension, correct? As far as I'm aware, it's not something that's been released to the public. Okay. I mean, the question that kind of rung with me to begin with was how's he going to handle trading players he's got a relationship with? You know, he's been coaching these guys, seeing them day in, day out. Some of them since their first day in the NBA. Most of them since their first day in the NBA. And right. now he's going to be the one to be saying, right, guys, we don't think you really fit this team. We've right. traded you. He gets to give him the boot. That's crazy. I think, Brad, if he was going to make a major shift, like a major shift, it would be between Smart or Kemba or both of them. I don't think he would. He's definitely not trading uh, Tatum or Brown. That's off the table. Yeah. The Jays, um, outside the Jays, everyone's expendable. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, Brad, if he was to make a trade, it would probably be Pritchard. Nishmith and Langford probably with picks for someone like a vet because we know how bad likes vets. Yeah, I'm against that one though, like simply because that's too many of the young guys. Like those three guys are the ones that stepped up in games uh, four and five. But that's the thing, right? Now their value's at its highest, so you could see that being a, a reasonable. But if you're trading those three guys, by no means should you be putting a draft pick in with it as well. It's also got to be a guy who's a stud, right? Like you can't, you can't trade those three young guys, especially when two of them are like former lottery picks of the past two years. But you need to, if you're gonna move those guys, it has to be for a guy who's under contract and young enough to fit your core and has potential to be 
if not like a key guy, like a, a very, very high level. Yeah, when I say that, I don't want them to get traded. I'd, I'd rather keep all three of them because I think they could be, they're very essential to our uh, core, our young core. Yeah, but if you had to trade one of them to get rid of that Walker contract, you got to do it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. I think out of, I think one of those three are going to go. So I was going to ask out of the three, um, which one would you guys like to see go? I, I think I like Neesmith and Pritchard the most. So unfortunately for Romeo, I think I would want him traded the most. But see, this is why it sucks because I think Romeo's got the highest ceiling out of all three of them. But I do think it'd be Romeo that got let go. But I'm not sure because Brad Stevens has a lot of um, faith in Romeo. That's why Romeo was getting the starts. It's tough, man. I think that they let Romeo go because they need shooting more than they need ball handling and slashing. So Romeo's the odd man out there. But in terms of just pure ceiling, uh, I think Romeo's got the highest ceiling out of three of them. Adam, I have a question for you. Um, with Brad, you know, stepping up to the plate of being the next GM, you think he'll, um, he has two options in my opinion. Should he go, like, try and trade smart and Kemba and Fournier and all the older guys and maybe just keep one of the veterans? you know, for the leader, for the, you know, the leadership role or like do something with the young guys, maybe move them or just keep one of them. Like you Yeah. I mean, it all depends. Again, this is all going to depend on like, uh, like we spoke about a bit earlier. It's all going to depend on what coach comes in. Right. Like if it's player development coach, I don't think any of those guys get moved. Then we start looking at Marcus Smart, Christian Thompson, maybe Kemba. If it's a win now top coach, then these Neesmith, Pritchard, Langford, they're going to be the primary trade candidates because those aren't going to be the guys that get you over the hump next year. So I genuinely believe that the, the type of trades that get made and the players involved in them trades directly correlate to the type of coach that gets brought through the front door. I honestly think even if he does get a player development coach, I don't think, I think the plan is still win now. Because Brad's always talked about um, he's not a tanking guy. And, and no, it's a little different because now he's the president of basketball operations. So he might have to start thinking about tanking for some things. But I think I think it's a win now, Coach, even if you get a player development guy. Because you're going to keep – I think you're going to keep two of those guys, of those young guys, and trade one of them. So you can still have a player development coach with those young guys and still bring vets in to win now. I think – you have to go. I think you have to go the route of a former player that these guys respect. Cause I feel like you can't really take the chance of going with a player development coach or a college coach or anything like that. I feel like you have to go with a former player that has coaching experience, like a Chauncey Billups or a Sam Cassell, that the players are gonna respect. Cause I feel like when they come in immediate, immediately, they know they know a guy like Chauncey Billups and they have respect for him. So guys like Tatum and Brown are going to easily fall in line because he's a record recognizable person that has a track record. And I feel like Brad, like I'm not too concerned about Brad, you know, in this position because he was just in the job as the coach. So I'm he knows better than anyone what this team is going to need. And it's like Brad, I'm pretty sure Brad knows that he wouldn't want to be, you know, he didn't want to be playing guys like Shem, like Shemmy, Ojale, and Grant Williams. Like, he clearly knows that. So, like, now he's in a position where he can actually, where he can actually make those decisions. Cause he know, he knows what this roster needs to improve. Cause he was there firsthand to see it. So, like, I think because of that, I'm not too concerned because I'm pretty sure Brad is a much, a very capable of knowing. And smart enough to know that those are the improvements that you have to make. Well, yeah, but coaching players and putting together a whole team, I think, is two different things. Um, uh, I also think that the next coach, it shouldn't even be a question. I think that Kenny Atkinson should be on the next fight to Boston ASAP. Look at what he did in Brooklyn. I mean, he took that team. And the reason why the Nets are what they are right now is because of Kenny Atkinson. Um, so... The Celtics should get that guy on the phone ASAP and bring him to Boston right away. Although, I'm going to say one thing, though. Um, I think Robert Williams is gone because Danny Ainge had to trade Dan, Daniel Tice to get Robert Williams. Brad would just not play Robert. Um, so now with Brad at GM, it, it, it would not shock me. Uh, me personally, 
Uh, I, I was pretty scared about what happened today. Uh, I've been a longtime Boston Celtics fan pretty much for my whole life. Um, seeing Danny leave was very bittersweet for me. Uh, I, I knew like he's, he's, his days were numbered just for the simple fact that the decisions he's currently made, uh, with the roster. And I, I don't think I'm, on, I'm not on the bandwagon with all the people that are saying that, Oh, last season was Brad. I mean, when I mean that last season, I mean the season that just ended, it was Brad's fault. It's, Brad's not to blame for the situation because the pieces that he gave Brad to work with weren't good enough. Our bench for a long time wasn't good enough. We need a big man. Uh, I almost said Grant Williams. He's, I, by the way, I'm not, I don't like Grant Williams and I really hope Brad trades him. Um, but that's not what I was going to talk about. Robert Williams stepped up as that, as that centerpiece. Um, but I, I actually agree with, uh, Mendy. I think he's going to be traded. I think honestly, the whole roster is probably going to be, I don't think he's going to completely blow it up. But I think there's going to be a lot of roster changes. I just hope my boy Pritchard stays. So I'm going to wrap this up in a moment. So I'll give anyone who wants a chance just to give out their number one coaching option and trade target that would work with that coach. Um, I would try and get Chauncey Billups for the coach and trade target uh, Lonzo Ball. Anyone else? Yeah, I agree. I think Chauncey Billups or Sam Cassell would be, you know, the. I think those would be the the top of the list candidates. And as far as roster moves, I feel like I can't really pinpoint because there's really so many different ways you, you could go to try and improve the roster because you have to look at Kemba's contract. You got to look at Marcus Smart. And you have to look at Fournier. I just feel like there's a lot of – there's too many avenues to really just pick one, so – Apparently, Fournier wants fifteen to twenty. I I really hope we go either go after Kenny Atkinson or Mark Jackson, um, in a trade. Uh, I'm not I'm not really I'm not really sure who would be available this off season. I haven't really even looked at the free agents or anything like that. I just hope we get rid of uh, Grant Williams and uh, Traymont Waters needs to go. Um, Traymont's gone anyway. It's a two way. He'll be unrestricted at the end of the year. Okay, fantastic. Well, that's that's my two cents, son. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, man. Well, everyone, thanks for joining in. This will go up on the Celtics Blog Podcast feed shortly, actually. I'll just get it up today. Everyone listening on the podcast, please make sure to leave that five-star written. In fact, everyone here please as well, please make sure to leave that five-star written review. You can find the link to the podcast on my Twitter page or in my bio. Uh, and I'll be back on Locker Room on Friday. Thank you, everyone. I hope you all stay safe. So... Farewell, Sammy. You're the GOAT. At what time? What time? 4 p.m. 4 p.m. on Friday. All right.